0: Before we get started, I want to. Um, well, I guess we're already started. We're halfway through. But um, as we kind of step into what Easter is and what it looks like, there's always kind of this question. I know even I ask myself, "Why is this so important?" Maybe you've came today and you've you've come a lot of times on Easter and you always leave with the question, "Why? Why? Why was this? Why? Why? Why?" Those are that's a fair question. It's a good question. I hope we really kind of drill into why the cross happened today, why the death of Jesus happened and why it was so important. And then also what that really means. What does that do for us? And what does the empty tomb mean? What does that do for us? Why is this important? Those are good questions to ask. Uh, Sometimes we just come to church and we're like, okay, I'm going to kind of be here and do that. And Then we're going to go and eat or or go to our Easter egg hunt or whatever. And we just kind of go through the motions of it. So in the next 25 minutes, I really want to kind of drill into the why. Why is this so important? Why should I care? What does the cross have to do with me? And what does it all mean? I want to read for you John chapter twenty. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. The other disciple was probably John, and so he's kind of writing about himself. I was faster than Peter. I'm, you know, one of them. Um, teenage boys riding the, uh, um, what's going on? both were running and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at it in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, he's really, really pointing on that, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, rabbi. I think we even today, knowing the end of the story, knowing the resurrection of Jesus, get caught up even in this moment, is that we're like, oh what, Jesus died on the cross. Like we watch the passion and we're so focused in on all the, the junk that has happened to Jesus. And and we don't step into the moment of Mary? Eric? Ashley? I'm alive! Do you hear that? You you want to see the difference in that? I hope that made you tingle a little bit because it makes me tingle thinking about it. I'm not the gardener. I'm not weed whacking anything today. I am the savior of the universe. And so as we think about today, why is this so important? Why does this matter? Because of this fact, all throughout history, all throughout the whole of scripture, God is constantly going at this one idea to restore relationship to have relationship with humanity. He's constantly coming at it. He's coming at it with different angles. There's different promises. There's different uh, covenants. There's different laws. There's different ways in which this happens. And so finally he says enough with all of the outside measures, enough with the half measures, enough with the things where I depend on you to do the right thing. I'm going to take care of it all. I want to redeem all of it. The most important scripture that's, that's found in all of the Bible for us is called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's found, again, in, uh, in the Gospels. But it's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And I'm getting them out of order, so I'm sorry. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. Jesus himself says, this is the greatest commandment. Everything rests on the Shema. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it's so important. They say, listen, listen, here's the deal. As the Parenting 101 class, you're going to write this, and you're going to put it on your wrists. You're going to put it on your forehead. And if you see Orthodox Jews today, they have little boxes written on their on their heads and inside that little box on their forehead is the Shema written in there. On their, it is actually there. It's on the, on their on tassels on their, their wrists because they take this literally. It says, write it on the doorposts of your homes. It should be everywhere. Love the Lord, your God with all of your heart and your soul, your mind, your strength with everything that you have. And the coming of Christ, especially in the, in this part of the story is about redeeming all of that redeeming the Shema. So it's a reality for you and for me, a reality that we can actually love God with everything that we have. It's a nice goal, but I can't do it because I like myself and I like things. I even love my family. I love nature. I love other things that always distracts me from loving God with everything that I am. And so Jesus' point here is to redeem us so that we can actually focus away from loving ourselves and loving other things in this world to loving God with everything that we have. How does he do that? That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about today. See, you need to know this one point. And if you feel alone today, you feel like you've been left out, you feel like you've been discarded, know this, Jesus will stop at nothing to have relationship with you. There is nothing that you could have done to keep him from wanting relationship with you. And there's nothing he hasn't done to try to restore that relationship. And I think you're going to see how that happens here in the next few minutes. See, the cross is all about redemption, it's all about redemption. It's all about being made new. It's all about changing the mindsets so people don't have to be stuck in this weird cycle where we're stuck in loving money, loving things, loving other stuff that we can get removed from that operating system and moved into loving God with everything that we have. The way God intended when we are created When when God had us in mind, when he started putting DNA strands together and going, this is going to be awesome, he had in mind for us a creation that would love him with everything that he is. When we look at the wounds of Christ, we get a better look at how he's, he's going to restore us and redeem us and redeem our minds and our strength and our souls and our Uh, our our hearts, there's the one I missed, there's only three there I said, Um, how he's going to redeem all of that. These wounds of Christ, the, the wounds of Christ that we see and we hear about, and we've even watched maybe movies about, these are incredibly important, but this year I want to put those wounds of Christ, and I want you to put them inside the idea of the Shema, That we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. And then we're going to look at these wounds of Christ and how each one of those wounds, the whip, the spear, the crown of thorns, the nails, the cross, how each one of those wounds directly ties in to something of the Shema. This, uh, came about this week as I was praying through this and, and, and studying about it. And I just had a moment in my office. I was like, what? No one was there. Usually I get real excited and I tell Yvonne all about it. And then she gets excited too, but no one was there. So I couldn't even tell anybody. And so, but I was so excited just because like, what God's pretty awesome. And I know I probably should know that by now, but you, weekly I get reminded about how amazing he is. See this torture of Christ. It has a purpose. And the purpose of it is to redeem you, redeem me, redeem all of humanity and re- redeem humanity that is going to come there. It's not just something that Jesus does. Cause it makes a nice story. There is a purpose behind everything that Jesus does. Isaiah 53 five says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds. This is very important by his wounds we are healed by his wounds we are healed there's over 300 prophecies of, of that Jesus is going to fulfill there's no like over thousands of years of the of scripture being written there's 300 prophecies and Jesus fills every single one of them and this is one of the major ones that Isaiah when he wrote it down 600 years before Jesus was born must have gone, I don't know what I'm writing right now, but this is interesting. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Each one of these wounds has something important to teach us today. The first that I want to tell you about is the whip. I think I have a picture of of the, the whip for you up here. Yeah. This is kind of close to what it it looked like. Um, You can see these little, like, um, barbs, like barbed wire things. What they would have done is taken the leather tassel. Um, You can, like, look at flagellum. I don't know Latin, sorry, but flagellum online, and they will show you Rome, the things that they put in the Roman, uh, whips, all the, the whips have like deteriorated and gone away, but some of the pieces of, they actually had these special spiky balls designed to go into the flagellums. And what the flagellum, uh, was meant to do was to destroy uh, a man's strength. And it was, the Romans didn't invent torture. They just perfected it. They didn't invent the cross. They perfected it. They didn't invent invent flogging people. They perfected it. They were very, very good. The Romans actually didn't invent a whole lot. They just perfected a whole lot. They're really ingenious people at this. Killing people and torturing them is one of their specialties. This whip was, um, why Jesus received 39 lashes was because that was uh, one less than a death sentence. This Flogging was so bad, so intense, so terrible, so deconstructing of your body that they figured forty lashes you're going to die, and so we'll only give you thirty-nine. We just want you in ICU for a couple of weeks. We don't want to actually kill you. Do you see what's what's going on here? So they're very calculated, and in a, a tort, the, the whip master, whatever his name w- would have been, whatever his title would have been, his job he was expected to be able to kill someone in forty. Lashes. You see how close that, how nasty that is. And so this whip that's back here is, wha, it's not a bull whip. A, a lot of us, I, I would think of a bull whip. I got the um Denzel Washington and in, uh, in Glory in my head. That's not the way it was. This is this is which is an amazing and powerful scene. But anyway, anyway sorry, um I digress. Uh, this whip was, was made to do, uh, there's an intentionality behind it. 13 lashes would have been on the right side. So just destroying this deltoid muscle and the skin and all the tendons that hold this shoulder in place. And then the guy would have switched to the other hand and 13 lashes on the other side, destroying like these are huge muscle groups. Anybody ever twinge their back? Eric twins is back a couple days ago. My wife twins her back this morning carrying some water around. So if she's hobbling. She's trying to have a yes face. I promise you. Um, you know, you, you barely tweak your back. And you're like, oh, I'm done for a month. I, I go to the chiropractor every week. Please fix me. Destroyed the flesh, the muscles just ripped apart. And then 13 across the base of the back. There's intentionality behind that to destroy the strength of the man because the, the, the flogging was reserved for an intentional purpose. You flog someone to make them an example. You flog them because you wanted to change how they, they, they walked. You wanted to change it because the person that you would flog would been a rabble rouser, if you will, a revolutionary, someone who's causing problems. They didn't really deserve a cross yet, but they needed to be taught a lesson and they wanted everyone else to know. So 40 years from now, when that guy's walking and he can't work anymore, they're going, yeah, you," and the kids are going, what happened to old, you know, Bob over here? Well, Bob got flogged. Why did Bob get flogged? Because he raised up against the Romans. Does this make sense? And so what is happening is Jesus is being made Uh, An example, don't you teach against the temple? Don't you do these things? Don't you cause these problems? We're going to destroy who you are as a man. Or maybe to put it another way, Jesus is redeeming our bodies. The whip represents redeeming of our bodies. Love the Lord your God with all of your, what? What? with your strength. Jesus is showing us what that even looks like. How much he loves us. That this relationship isn't just one way. That I, as the son of God, will love you with all of my strength. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? You see the the power of that. It's not just a torture that Jesus went through. It has meaning behind it. That Jesus loves us with all of that strength. And so when we say or sing a song like Jesus paid it all, that Jesus paid it all for our strength. He's redeeming our bodies. Second piece of kind of symbolism. After it, Jesus is flogged, they shove, they shove one of these on him. Now, I can't touch this without getting poked. This isn't. Does this look, this is not your nice headwear, right? You know, no one, when I was a kid, people liked to wear Easter hats and there was women in our church that would wear Easter hats. No one was picking the crown of thorns to do that with right this morning. But what this would have looked like is they flogged him and a basically a Jesus who is struggling to move and breathe at the moment has this shoved down on his head as a mockery of who he would have been. As I look at this crown of thorns, I think of this is, this is nasty. I mean, these are, this is nasty. But the symbolism going on here is very powerful to me. Is that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And the very nature of, of who Jesus is and, and, and what he is and what he's supposed to be, these guys are mocking him in a way that they shove the crown of thorns on his head. You think you have migraines? right? Imagine a three inch uh, piece of really sticky. I don't even know what that is. Some sort of nasty vine shoved into your scalpel all over. The idea being that Jesus is redeeming our minds. Love the Lord, your God with all of your mind. Maybe you struggled in this moment with something in your, in your mind. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with anger problems. Maybe you're you're struggling with a temptation right now. That whatever you're going through, Jesus pays it all for that as well. That he wants to redeem that. That he goes through the flogging, through the crown of thorns being shoved on his head to redeem all of it. By his wounds, you are healed. Do you hear that? This wasn't done in vain. This wasn't done for just some nice little uh, Easter play. This was done for a reason. I hope you all can hear the kids giggling. That is awesome. Uh, The crown represents the redeeming of our minds. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. The next uh, symbol I want to show you is the nail. And this is a landscape spike, but it's about the same size. And what this would have done, and and, and in Roman times, a hand would have been from the elbow to the tips of their fingers. So we've thought of it a lot of times that the spikes being, and you get lots of pictures at Christian bookstores or whatever, uh, the spike being through the hand. Well, the problem is if a spike would have gone through the hand, it would have ripped right out because um, the metatarsals here are not strong enough uh, to hold body weight. But Fortunately for the Romans, the radius in the ulna and their connective tissue is strong enough. So what would have happened is the spike would have gone through here. And I can't imagine what that would have been like um, to have the spikes pounded. We do a good Friday service here where we pound these into uh, wood and the sound every time they hit, uh, it's just a chill because we do a very uh, experiential good Friday service. But as this spike goes through his hands, there's a reason and there's a purpose for it. One, of course, to adhere him to the cross, but Jesus is redeeming our actions. I mean, think of all the things that we do that dishonor God. We do all the things that we do that are mired in selfishness, that are mired in evil. All the things that our hands, the work of our hands do. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to redeem that as well. I'm going to buy that back as well. And so as we think about the nail, as we think about being pinned to the cross, let us think about Jesus redeeming our very actions because we're trying to, Jesus is trying to get us and to show us that he will love us with everything and that we, in return, love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. You see how this this is working. The next object I want to draw your attention to is the cross. Now the cross, I mean, probably half of you are wearing crosses around your neck this morning. Um, and depending on who gave you that cross, Jesus' body's on the cross or Jesus' body's not on the cross. But this idea we've made it, it basically, if you would go home and get a gold, you know, elect, uh, electric chair put on your, uh, and wearing that around, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. Um, this is a very interesting uh, thing of symbol of torture that we get to wear around our, our, uh, our necks. And so we've kind of made it gold-plated. We've kind of made it, uh, oh, okay, it's, it's nice. The cross is the, one of the most inhumane, worst ways that humanity has ever devised in killing another human. And the Romans perfected it. They got good at it. See, the the cross, what it does is it kills you slowly. It kills you so slow, you have time for the village to come out and see you and get scared. The cross is a symbol of Rome's total authority over you. No man would let himself be put on a cross and die that way if he didn't have power to get off, if he didn't have the power. If he had the choice to get off, he would have taken it. And so Jesus goes on that cross and he allows himself to be pinned to the cross with the nails in his hands. And what is going on there is, uh, I think, a very beautiful, wonderful and horrendous thing. Jesus is having the air pushed out of his lungs. The cross is, you don't die from the nails in your hands. You don't even die. Did, he's not dying from the flogging. He's not dying from anything else. He, from the crown being shoved on his head. He is dying by suffocation. What the cross does for you is with, can you even imagine this. The nails between um, your ankle bones here. And so you're like that, and then you're pinned to the cross. And the only way you can breathe, you have all your body weight going down. The only way you can breathe is to pull yourself up against those nails, push against the wood, and gasp breath. And when finally you don't have enough strength to do that, you die. It's forcing you to suffocate slowly painfully in front of everybody. It's horrendous. And as I was thinking about this this week, I started thinking about what what could this redeem? And I started thinking about, and I was doing research. It's Genesis two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The cross represents the redeeming of our soul, of our very breath. Because this impartation in in Jewish and Christian theology is when God blows the the ruach, the spirit, into man's lungs and fills him for the very first time, and life is given, that he's giving man soul. And so by Jesus being suffocated slowly on the cross is the soul being ripped out. That God would love us so much that he would redeem our strength, our mind, our soul, and our heart. You see how this works. There's intentionality behind it. It's not just some horrendous thing that goes on. There's there's a reason that that Jesus is saying, you know what? I'll do that. And I'll do that one. And I'll do that one. And I'll do that one. (laughs) Because I want to redeem. I want to have relationship with. I'll stop at nothing to have relationship with these people. I love them. All the other things haven't worked. But I'll stop at nothing to restore this relationship. I'll redeem their minds. I'll redeem their strength. I'll redeem their soul. Jesus paid it all. Finally, the spear represents the redeeming of our hearts. The spear represents the redeeming of our hearts. Now this is not a replica of a uh, Roman spear, but it's as close as I can get. This is actually a Maasai African warrior, uh, spear. My dad got in Kenya. Um, there you go. It's about the same size as what a, a, a pylon would have been. And so the spear would have been the spearhead would have been down here, but this represents the, at the end of the day, they're, they're kind of, they're poking the guys on the cross to be very inhumane about it, but they're stabbing them to make sure they're dead to, to speed this whole process up. So everyone can go home for dinner. That, this is what they're doing. Uh, think of the callousness that you'd have to have. Where, where is your life gone when you're like, well, let's go home? Um, that is nuts. But when they step up to Jesus and they shove the spear in between his ribcage, it's been right here. As they shove it in, this weird mixture of blood and water come pouring out. That's very interesting, right? Why is blood and water so... Um, Coming out, what, what, what does that mean? I, I was perplexed by that when I started reading this when I was younger. Medically, what happens when your heart explodes is the separation of, of, of the blood and water in your system starts to happen. So what Jesus didn't die from the nails in his hands. He didn't die from a crown being placed on his, on his head. He didn't even die from the suffocation going on with the, 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 on the crucifixion. He died of a broken heart. His heart exploded probably in his body. And when the spear was, was shoved into his chest cavity, the blood and water came out. Because Jesus wants to redeem your heart. He wants to redeem your strength. He wants to redeem your mind. He wants to redeem your soul. Do you hear this? All of these things, all of these horrible atrocities that Jesus Endures are for you to restore right relationship with you. As we love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind. See, it doesn't start stop there. This is where I normally like, okay, I'm done. Wow, God, you're amazing that you would do all that for me. And that is the right attitude to have. But wait, there's more. Jesus wasn't done after all of that. He was saying, you know what? I'll take all of that, but all of that doesn't matter if I don't defeat death as well. And so he takes all of the torture that, that humanity can actually throw at him. Everything they devised at that point, all the best of the best practices on how to maim a human body, he takes all of that and says, you know what? I'll redeem all of that, but I'm But wait, there's more. I'm going to come back to life. I will defeat death. I will defeat the spear. I will defeat the crown of thorns. I'll defeat the whip. I'll defeat the very cross, the instrument of death. I defeat it all to show you there's hope, to show you there's a future, to show you that you serve a God, not that is defeated by man, that overcomes anything that man can throw at him. Do you understand that? The hope of the empty tomb is that Jesus says, You threw everything you possibly could at me, and I am bigger. I am better. I am God. And I will defeat death for each and every one of you, just as I defeated death for myself. The power of the empty tomb is the power of restoration, it's the power of redemption to say, I, that God says to you, I love you with everything that I am, with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my soul, and with all my mind. And the right response is, God, I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. Do you see how that symbolism, you see how that works? But far too often, we get caught up in a cycle of, I love myself with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind, and not you, God. And he's constantly, through Shema, calling us back, Come, come to me. There's a hope, there's a future, there's a life that's better than you can ever imagine. There's a real joy, there's a real happiness, there's real contentment in me. And there's a hope for a future. There's a life coming. There's a better life here and now. Jesus says in John that I have come so that you may have life and have it to its full or abundant life. That you don't have to be stuck in a in in a the rat race and the, the hamster wheel of life here. That I have a bigger, better, more wonderful life for you. Not of momentary happiness, but of joy. A joy that can happen here on earth, but also happens for eternity. This was offered through us, through the empty tomb, through the death and the resurrection. So he took the beating so our bodies could be free. He took the crown so our minds could be free. He took the nails so our actions could be free. He took the cross so our soul could be free. He took the spear so our hearts could be free. Jesus paid it all. This is redemption. This is forgiveness. What's our reaction to this? What do we do with that? How do we handle such extravagant love and extravagant action? I think the first thing we do is we have to submit and fall in love with Christ. That's the right reaction to have. Here's God is trying to restore us into right relationship. What is our response to fall in love with Christ? John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Christ has done all this for you. He would have done it for just one of us, but he did it for all of humanity. Our response should be adoration, love, and respect. The second response is we should turn from sin. We fall in love with Christ. The second response is turn from sin. The, the churchy word is repent, which really sin means to, it's an archer's term, means to miss the mark that you just, you miss the, miss the bullseye. Repent means to readjust that ain't. Put it in the idea of the Shema. We've been shooting because we've loved ourselves with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. And we repent, we readjust that aim to love God with all that we are. Does this make sense? That's what repentance is, to change from loving ourselves and loving the world with everything that we have to loving God with everything that we have. That's a huge shift, but that is the response to Christ's sacrifice and victory over death. And the third thing that we do, that, we're, that our response to this is, is 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 hard. I think it's tricky. They're all hard. It's to forgive ourselves. Is to forgive ourselves. Hebrews eight twelve. For I will. This is Jesus. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. If Jesus, who went through all the tortures I just talked about, has forgiven you and forgotten all the junk and the stuff that has separated you from Him and I've forgotten it all. I don't, I don't know why you keep on bringing it up because it's not there anymore. Then it's time to forgive ourselves of that stuff. Some of us like to keep on going back there because that's what we know. We like to wallow in it. We don't really like to, but it's all we know, so we just keep on going back. Our response is to fall in love with Christ, to repent from the sin, from the stuff. And to forgive ourselves. Easter is about the victory. It's about a story in which we can be restored. It's about a way in which God himself loves us so much that he will stop at nothing. No nails, no cross, no crown of thorns, no spear will stop him from restoring relationship between him and you. Easter is about life. It's about hope. It's about abundant life. It's about a hope. It's about a future. Today, I want to pray for us as we think about our lives. Who are we serving? Are we serving ourselves? Are we loving ourselves with everything that we have? Or are we loving God with everything that we have? And so in this moment, in this time, I want to to bear my, my heart my mind, my strength, and my soul to God and say, God, I want you to redeem all of it. Thank you for redeeming all of it. And so if you're in a place right now, in a moment in which you want to say, yeah, I want to change my action. I want to move from where I've been to where I need to be in alignment with God. I need a different kind of life, a life of abundant joy and hope and peace. I want you to pray with me this morning. God, thank you for your sacrifice. God, I thank you for the cross. God, I thank you for defeating death. I thank you for taking the nails for me, for taking the crown of thorns for me, for taking the beating, the whipping for me. Lord, I thank you for being victorious. I thank you that you burst out of the tomb, not defeated, but a victorious God, a God that cannot be held back by anything that man can throw at you, that you are bigger, that you are greater, that you are better than anything we can ever imagine. Lord, right now, I know that I need a new life. I know I need a new way of thinking. I need a new operating system. God, I've made myself God way too many times. And right here, right now, in this moment, I want to put you as Lord of my life. I want to love you with all of my strength, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, and with all of my heart. God, I don't even know how how that looks like on a day-to-day basis, but I know I want it to be my heart cry. That I want to turn from the things I've been doing, the the things I've been distracted from, coming to relationship with you i need a hope i need a future i need a joy so god right now i just ask you to forgive me and us of our sins of the stuff we've put in place of you in our lives maybe it's money maybe it's things maybe it's health Maybe it's even family. But God, that I can make you Lord of my life. That you would redeem me and all that I am. Thank you, God, for forgetting my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. God, as I step into a new lifestyle, a new life with you, that you would walk with me and give give me hope you give me strength, that you give me patience, and you give me peace. Lord, redeem my body, my mind, my actions, my heart, and my soul. Today, Lord, I give you my life. And in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen.